Canucks Central Tuesday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. We are in the Kintec studio. Canucks Central is brought to you by Grip Auto Entire, quality service you can trust in 14 locations to serve you. Well, I'm in the Kintec studio because mm-hmm. I, I, you know, can just walk like 45 steps up the street <laughs> to the office. Yeah. Uh, I got the Kintec home studio. Yeah. While most yeah. other people, like Sat himself, uh, are. Uh, are at home doing what everybody should be doing and staying at home if it is humanly possible because it is treacherous out there right now. Yeah, it, it is. It is. And, and depending on even, even transit for some uh, isn't easy. Like I, I was impressed that Bic actually make the, made the trek in today. Very impressed by Bic, yeah. Yeah. Um, they don't make him like Bic anymore. <laughs> I, I mean, there were some horror stories going around, man. Like two hours on the Sky Train just to like get on a Sky Train. No, no <laughs> I, thanks. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. I, uh, my trek to go work out this morning because yeah. there's no way that I was going to try to drive through any of this. So uh, using the Canada line, let, let's just say the wait times to get from where I live, which is like two stops from from the gym which I go to, it was. It was quite the ordeal. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> we need to like start a uh, we need to start a GoFundMe to get more plows in and around the city. My one like stipulation though is we we get to name the plow, you know. So like I don't know, uh, like call it Plowy McPlowface or something like that, and it goes around cleaning your street, <laughs> like uh, Plow Plow Central or something. Yes. <laughs> the big Laplowski. <laughs> <laughs> the big house. Yeah, I don't mind that. That's all right. Let's do that. I'm game. Uh, control, salt, delete. <laughs> I, I got names for days. On, I know. You've been uh, thinking about this. You've been thinking clouds. about this. Anyways. Uh, it, it was, you know, there's there's a lot to think about when you're watching the Canucks lose 5-1 every single night at Rogers Arena, you know? Yeah. Oh, man. It's... <sighs> It's it's pretty depressing. It's pretty depressing. I mean, okay, l- let me just answer this one uh, question from Beef, Beef Stroganoff on our text inbox. We were okay. saying Bick still made the trek to come in. So the question is asking, is Bick still a coward? The answer <laughs> is yes. Of course he's a coward. Yes. Yes. That's a term of endearment, by the way, in our usually. 650 studios. Usually. Yes, usually. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Yes. Uh, Canucks losing. Very bad. 5-1. Horrible. Yeah. Um... <laughs> So it's 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 another five one loss, Sat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another five one loss on home ice. One third of their games at Rogers Arena have finished five one in favor of the other guys. They have as many wins on home ice as they do losses by a five one score line. They're five games away from completing half of their home schedule. And they've already completed all of these incredible records so far this season, including having five Five home, five one losses on home ice, being a franchise record. Now I know this team has its flaws, and I know the team isn't among the league's best. I'm certainly not under those illusions. I may have thought they were going to be a playoff team at the start of the year, but I don't feel that same way now. 31 games in, I sure as heck understand why they view Elias Pettersson as their one untouchable because they barely look like an NHL team without Pettersson. In the lineup, these last two games were about as embarrassing as you could imagine on home ice. There were probably some people in the crowd that were gifted these tickets uh, for the holidays. Some some gift that is. What's worse, they still don't even hold a candle to the worst five one loss of this season. That will forever be known as the home opener 
where multiple jerseys were thrown on the ice and a chorus of boos no Canadian market has ever seen in a home opener happened at Rogers Arena. But now we've got sell the team chants popping off at Rogers Arena as well. All we get after the game from the captain, I'm, I'm running out of things to say here, guys. There's the coach. It feels like Groundhog Day. Yes, it does. But even Punxsutawney Phil had it better than the Canucks fans do so far this season. We get it. This isn't really fixable, at least not overnight and likely not in the short term either. But would it be too hard to ask for these guys to at least go out there and play for each other? I mean, Quinn Hughes, he's throwing up Hail Marys from the point at every opportunity in hopes of getting that zero off of his name next to the goal column. JT still throwing bad passes across the ice in the worst possible areas. Captain Bo being the first guy blowing out of the D zone before the puck is even out. Bad line changes from everybody. It feels like too much to ask for for these guys just to play fundamentally sound hockey. Something with structure. What have we learned through the first 31 games? They aren't good enough. And change is desperately needed. We know that. They should trade Bo. And for that matter, they probably should have traded JT in the summer. That's even furtherly evidenced now. And everything the front office has said about structure has also proven to be true. And I'm tired of seeing... I'm tired of seeing it. It's probably in the best interest for this club to have its promising young players like Nils Hoaglander right now in the AHL, away from this horror movie we keep seeing every single night. At Rogers Arena, Sat. I'm tired of it. I know the fans are definitely tired of it. We're all tired of it with this team. And uh, you know what's going to happen, Dan? Nothing. Exactly. And At least not yet. I mean, there's a roster freeze, so like you can't do anything. Literally, you can't do anything right now. But you, you can't. You can't. But also, like as far as like, do you really expect on Thursday you're going to see a different team? No. All of a sudden, like, or do you? I mean, they look like a team that's checked out. Right? And I mean, you heard what Luke Shen had to say. Bo Horvath, you mentioned it, lost for words. No words. I have no words. I have no answers for you. Who has answers? Nobody has answers. Nobody. None of them do. Right? And if you don't have any answers, you have no idea how to get out of this. Like, how can you expect anything different? You know, and that's just, that's just the reality. Like, I, I'm bracing for the next, like, I'm, I'm just expecting the games to look like this. And maybe they'll win some of these games, like, cause they won some of them before. They beat Arizona. They beat Montreal. They came back against a bad team. They, they beat some other bad teams along the way yep. where they had the same type of effort to start the game, but they somehow managed to win those. It'll happen. They'll win enough games just because they have talent. They'll get saved some nights. It'll just work out in their favor. But am I expecting them to, to click and figure it out? I'm not. I don't think it's going to happen. They've shown no signs of it. I, I've been saying like you can repeat what we said on the show yesterday on the postgame show too. Like what is the single shred of evidence anybody can point to to say these guys are figuring it out and learning this season? There's nothing. There's not a single thing you can point to outside of that stretch where they got nine wins out of 13 games. Just the results in and of themselves. You could point to and say, hey, at least scoreboard, they won more games than they lost. Okay, fair enough. But what's make what makes it even remotely sustainable? Nothing. Not a single thing. And... They, they keep telling themselves, even after the, the 9 out of 13, you know, we had Bruce Boudreaux on while they were going through the 9 and 13 stretch last Friday. And, you know, they're, I mean, that feels like a month ago already. <laughs> but, um, you know, like, it, you're trying to tell yourself things are heading in the right direction, right? And you can tell yourself as many times as you want, but is it is it actually true? And everything we've seen over these last two games has proven for it not to be true i still can't figure out why they can play with more structure when they're on the road than they can when they're on home ice 
are they too comfortable? Are, are they too happy at but home? But are they? Are they like, though? I mean, here's the thing though, Dan. Like, do they play with better structure on the road? They're more engaged. All on the I road know sometimes. is their their best games of the season have all come on the road. Fair, fair. I mean, they, like the two good games they played, and there's only two really good games they played. Yeah. And they they were in Colorado and in Vegas against the Golden Knights. So those are the two games. You can point to that Pittsburgh game, the home game. You can yeah. point to maybe the Kings home game. Even even that wasn't perfect. The Kings home game was Thatcher Demko's best game of the season, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. You can point to that. Yeah. But even you know from a process standpoint, you can still quibble with some stuff if you yeah. want to talk about you having your best performance. Even on the road, we're talking about a couple of games. It's not all that different. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really not. I mean, the only difference is on the road sometimes, like they play with some energy to start a game, and they haven't been able to do that on home ice, and for whatever the reason is, and and maybe you just chalk it up to the most simple answer: they, they're not good enough, and these guys don't believe anymore, you know. And I don't think Boudreaux's at fault here, but they look like a team that's not listening to the coach anymore. Like they look like they, they're not responding to anything the coach is doing, because no matter what card he plays, it has zero impact. Sit a guy, demote a guy, promote a guy. Change the power play up. Try to make some tweaks to your system. Rip the guys. Give them a pat on the back. What's worked? Nothing. When you see a coach come up empty pretty much every time with everything, it tells you the group's not responding. And it's easy to say, okay, well, get rid of the coach then. But have these guys earned another coach? No. Like when these guys keep tuning these guys out, and even after having success, we're relative success with Boudreaux last year, like – in what world is it just for Boudreaux to be the guy that takes the fall for these guys? And and that's where the conundrum is. Like something has to give. And in in normal circumstances, it could be easy to just do to, you know make the coach be the fall guy. But you can't have that right now. But even bringing it back, I think people can accept losing. But are you trying to lose, or what are you trying to like? If you're losing because you're trying to win and you fall ass backwards into something. That doesn't instill confidence. No. So w- what is the tact you're taking? And I think if they made a couple trades, which they're trying to do, and it's going to take some time, and we'll talk about that. But I think once they make trades, and if they keep continue going down the standings and get a higher draft pick, I think people can accept that. It's hard to accept these performances, these games, with the mandate of trying to make the playoffs and the statements and declarations of being a playoff team. And when you fail to reach that standard and you're coming up the way they are on home ice, losing 5-1 five times already, it, that's hard for fans to swallow. It's I, I'm going to keep saying this. It feels like every day right now, but you, you've got to sell me wins or sell me hope. You're not selling me either right now, the Vancouver Canucks. And the hope part, it could just be one trade that that ends up telling us, like, okay, this season uh, it's kind of lost at this point. And maybe that will come in the new year. There's been a lot of reporting in the last couple of days that maybe trade season opens up a little bit once we get into January and the trade freeze is over. Cap space continues to open up. You get past the halfway mark of the season and – Teams start to have a firmer grasp on where they are in the standings and whether or not they're going to be a buyer or a seller come deadline time. Really, though, that doesn't happen until after the All-Star break. So we're talking at least February before some material changes end up happening on this roster or changes or a trade market really starts to open up around the NHL. I keep going back to something Jim Rutherford said to us in that infamous interview, Sat, where there's going to come a point where we just have to punt on this season. And I can't imagine a scenario where this front office is looking at this and being like, yeah, we still believe in these guys. (laughs) I I don't see anybody other than Bruce Boudreaux 
that is still going out there and saying, I believe in it because I essentially have to believe in it, that it's going to turn around at some point. But, I mean, the writing's on the wall. Whether you think this is a rebuild or a retool or whatever, I don't give a damn what name you put on it. It's obvious where this season should go and what's in the best interest of the short-term future of this franchise and the long-term future of this franchise, but it's to punt on this season and try to make the most of your next two to three years. And, and, and that's all, I think, that changes a lot of this. And I wonder, Sat, you know, if that's sort of the strategy now with Pod Colson and Rathbone and even Hoaglander, who we saw get demoted right before the roster freeze is put in place, do they just want these guys away from everything that's happening right now on the big club? I mean, I, I'd say yes. I mean, I think that's the obvious thing, like as far as, I mean, we can delve into this a bit more when it comes to these assignments as the show goes on here. But I, th- I think the obvious answer here is they're not getting playing time. Yeah. They're not having success. The environment here isn't good. It's not too late for us to create a different standard and expectation for these players and have them earn it and at least, you know, develop the proper way instead of picking up bad habits and being in the same spot a lot of these guys are in. It's uh, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. A lot of uh, reaction coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, BP in mission. I know it's not in Quinn Hughes style, but he just doubled his hit total in line two uh, in last night's game. Those two hits in 27 games. Is he just coasting out there? What other defenseman has just two hits in 27 games? Um Hits are an interesting statistic. Uh, I I don't love the hit statistic. Luke Shen does a lot of the hitting when Quinn Hughes is on the ice. It's not his game. I'm not going to rip Quinn Hughes for that. But, you know, I I just feel like, you know, from Quinn specifically, I've noticed a lot the last couple of games. He is just taking aimless shots. Well, not aimless. They're thrown at the net, but... You know, there's just not much of a uh, chance of it going in sort of thing. And I, I feel like that zero next to his name in the goal column is is starting to get to him. But it kind of speaks to a larger issue with this team, and that is, you know, there's a lot of guys playing for themselves right now. And the reason so many of the fans and the listeners of this show, when we do pregames and postgames, love Kyle Burrows is because of moments like he had at the end of last night's game because he, he seems like one of those guys that does – play for his teammates and, and everybody else. But there's just it, it feels at times that there's too much of these guys on this roster that are playing for themselves and playing for their stats at. Well, I mean, their best players, how many of them are playing the right way? Not enough of them. And even Quinn, and we talk, it's, it's been pretty evident, and I even mentioned this last week, that, hey, he's really trying to score his first goal. I mean, yeah, I'm fine yeah. when you're trying to score goals, and that's fine, but it seems like he's almost chasing that goal. And when I start seeing somebody chase... Number one, it's selfish because you're looking, you're more concerned about getting that goal in the column than you are trying to win a hockey game or do what you need to do to win. And that's what I want to see. And, and maybe I'm, and, and, and maybe I'm becoming the old hockey guy now and I'm starting to sound like all the old hockey guys about play the right way, have the right habits. But we've seen enough of this. Like it, it becomes infectious in a bad way. We talk about bad cultures. We talk about bad environments. We talk about being in that type of situation where 
it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy just because of how everybody kind of behaves and acts. And you kind of saw it with with the bad Oilers years, with the young players and the lack of accountability and, and just how that environment was. And those guys had to go to different situations for them to reach their potential and become impact players in different ways. And you're starting to see a lot of that here in Vancouver again because of the years of this type of hockey. And like, how much of this is becoming getting to a point where like this is the environment here in Vancouver where even your best players, they're more concerned about scoring because they know you're not having success on the ice with your team, so that's what you're worried about. But that's not a way to win. And whether that that's you have to change the, the principles in this team and you need to have different leaders that allow that gets them back on track – or if you just have to get rid of guys, I think that's what you have to figure out here with a lot of these players, right? Because like, if a player is not going to work here, no matter how good he is, you got to move on. Like, That's how bad things have gotten here now. And mm-hmm. when we talk about a rebuild and when I say, hey, you have to be open to everything, it's not because I say, hey, go trade everyone and start fresh and take 10 years to get good again. But it's like, what are we, what are we holding on to here? Even the, the top-end guys... Quinn, the way he's playing this year, you, you have some questions. I mean, Petey's the only guy you can't question. And then you can talk about Kuzmenko, Shen, sure, but their UFA's coming up. And Shen is 33 years old. Mikheyev you can throw in there as far as habits and stuff. But, like, again, like, we're not talking about a lot of players here. It's only a few of these guys that we're talking about. So what are these guys, the other guys doing for you to feel like they're going to play winning hockey here long term? And you have to ask these tough questions. And I think if, if these guys can't do that or they don't have it in them or this environment can't bring that out of them here in Vancouver, then it's got to change. Um, there's a lot of reaction coming in. Nothing changes on the ice because there's no change in the team vision and the boss is not on the ice. The true boss is the owner who thinks getting to the playoffs is the name of the game. That is from... Marty the Red. Tavi, fans are getting mad, but aren't these the losses we wanted? Didn't the majority want Bedard? So why blow it up now? Let them keep losing and unleash at the deadline. Um, Part of it, I think, is that, right? Like, I think part of what you're seeing here is like, I think they're, oh, and I mentioned this last night, like, I think, I think they're fine with management is, is having a down year and losing and, you know, getting a higher draft pick. The question, though, is, like, if you continue playing this way and a lot of your top-end guys, the guys you're trying to move, for instance, Besser and Garland, are playing the way they're playing, how do you even move them? Yeah. Like, you know, that's, that's the other side of it. It's like, yeah, you know, tank and trade guys at the deadline, but who's going to be tradable at the deadline outside of Shen and Horvat at this stage? It's <laughs> a great question. <laughs> Kuzmenko? I mean, yeah, and if you want to sign him as a different story, right? Yeah. But, I mean, those are the three guys we're talking about here. You can throw Burroughs into it, but what are you getting for Burroughs? I mean, if, if everything aligns, maybe somebody gives you a fifth, yeah. most likely a sixth or something. That's what we're talking about here. If you get something, I mean, it, it doesn't really require him to be an eighth round, like their eighth yeah. defenseman for a yeah. playoff or, run, right? Or maybe you're getting a lower-end prospect even. That's the level of asset you're looking at, even on the high end, for a Kyle Burroughs. Shen, I heard Merrick and Friedman speculate today that, hey, could you get a first-round pick the way Sherratt got? I mean, I'd, be, I'd, I'd fall off my chair if that happened. <laughs> but I, I do think we live in a world where a second-round pick for Luke Shen is not out of the realm of possibility. And I've made this point before, and we've talked about this, Dan. There's no money around the league. 
Heck, even at the deadline, teams are going to have like maybe a couple million, a few hundred thousand dollars. So a guy like Luke Shen, who at the deadline, whose cap hit's going to be like 200K or whatever, he's going to be really easy to acquire. So if you have players that don't make a lot of money, they're the ones who have some value for you. So I think Luke Shen's value is only increasing, and maybe you do get something like a second-round pick or something along those lines. So he's a good asset. But then it's just to Bo Horvat. And if you sign Bo, you're talking about one player in Luke Shen. So, again, I'm all for... Get up, get a high draft pick, and you know make trades at the deadline. But if these guys play this way, the way they're playing, especially Garland and Besser in this environment, nobody's going to touch these guys this season. Uh, Sportsnet did uh, four potential trade destinations and proposals for Bo, Bo Horvat. Uh, Ryan Dixon wrote the piece. Uh, he put out the proposals, and uh, ex-NHL scout Jason Bukala. Uh, sort of graded them and talked a little bit about them. The four teams that came up in conversation, the Montreal Canadiens, the Carolina Hurricanes, Detroit Red Wings, and the Boston Bruins. Um, all four of those uh, were interesting. I, I don't know if I loved any of the uh, returns, to be completely honest, but... The one that did stand out for me was probably the Carolina Hurricanes. And the proposal was Horvat and Aiden McDonough, who is a Canucks prospect who's still unsigned and would become an unrestricted free agent later this summer if he remains unsigned. Uh, Canucks would get Seth Jarvis, Stefan Nosen, Scott Morrow, right shot defenseman playing in the NCAA right now, and a 2023 third round pick so that's not even you're not getting a first round pick in there uh would be a late one with carolina anyhow but seth jarvis i would say is a really interesting piece to acquire in a bo horvat trade i like seth jarvis a lot and uh, i'm not even sure carolina would do that for a player who's a rental unless they you know sign into an extension carolina's not typically the team that gives extensions to players getting close to 30 as well no, and so I don't think that you know you're getting a set Jarvis type. I think that's good value. The only question with set Jarvis though is, is he a guy who's going to play center for you long term, or a guy who's going to be a winger for you long term? Yeah, because he he shoots right, and if he's right-handed centerman long term, then fine, great. You know, I'm just not sure that's ultimately going to be what he does in the National Hockey League. I mean, he's not the biggest player; he's like what five ten and. Ultimately, we'll see if they end up throwing him on the wing with how he plays because he can get it on the forecheck really well. He does a lot of really, you know, he does a lot of things well for a guy who's his size. So I'm really intrigued by the player, and I, and I love his upside. I just wonder, like, would Carolina do that? And ultimately, is that what Vancouver's looking for? Yeah, it, it's. I'd have a hard time seeing Carolina parting with with Seth Jarvis for a rental. It just hasn't really been in their M.O. to, to yeah. make that sort of a move uh, at the deadline. They haven't been a team that spends a lot to get rentals. And they are they're very cautious with how they give up their future assets as well. Not that they're unwilling to give up future assets, but they're very cautious and cognizant of the types of players they're acquiring when giving up young players with a lot of talent. Uh, the Bruins... Um, proposal is Fabian Lysel, John Beecher, a 2023 first round pick and a 2023 sixth round pick. Lysel is a really interesting prospect, but is a winger and Beecher is a center. 
they are essentially the Bruins' two best prospects uh, coming back to Vancouver. And the Bruins do profile as a team. We saw it with Hampus Lindholm that is willing to go out and get a rental and make sure that they get that rental signed to a big contract afterwards. Yeah, I mean, Lysel is the big end, the higher end prospect. What Beecher can be, though, um, he's a bigger player. He's got a good two-way game. I'm not sure the offense is going to be there in his game. So what does he ultimately end up being? Could he be, you know, a good two-way third-line centerman? Which, hey, if he's young and he, and he is good defensively, that could be the type of player you need. And we talk about how this team needs that type of responsible centerman. So you can maybe sell yourself that he has that projection. And if you're getting Lysel, who's he's a winger, but he's got a lot of speed, a lot of talent, plus a couple of draft picks. I mean, that's a pretty enticing package overall. Like, I don't know if it has that one piece you want still, like as good as Lysel is, because he's not a center, he's not a defenseman, and even though the center you're getting is good, he doesn't project to be a core player potentially. So it's a nice package, but is it really what you want, right? And if you can't, like, if that's the best package you get, I think you take it and you can be happy with it. But what we talked a lot about and, and what you heard about Vancouver's looking for is that one high-end piece of possible. And a lot of these packages you're, you're seeing are traditional packages, right? Your team's giving you something good, stuff that you like, but is it the blue chipper you're looking for in that premium position? Uh, it is going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. We know, you know, if the Canucks are going to continue talking with Bo Horvat and they haven't made their final push for Bo Horvat to remain a Vancouver Canuck, but closer you get to the deadline without a deal well then it becomes let's take the best package available and maybe not so much on focusing on trying to get that one premium center or premium right shot d that this organization does so covet Uh, all right we'll keep talking about that and uh, more going into the next hour of the show but up next kevin woodley we talked about elias Patterson being the one untouchable on this roster What does that mean for Thatcher Demko? The case for and against trading Demko with the goalie guru himself, Kevin Woodley, next on Canuck Central.